This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to the Equity Mates Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Comsec, the home of investing. Over 12 episodes, we're deep diving into some of the most exciting, interesting, and well known companies from around the world. Each episode, we'll be unpacking one company with one expert investor. We'll learn from their process and hear why they like the company. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm excited, Bryce. This summer series has been epic. We have spoken to some great investors and unpacked some great companies, all with the aim of becoming better investors ourselves. Yeah. We've been trying to understand how they analyze a company, their processes, how they think about building a thesis, and I think... I've become a better investor through this series. Jury's out on if you've improved. Oh, man, to be on honest, leaps and bounds. That's actually the, the talk in the office is you might actually be becoming a worse investor. I've actually peaked, I reckon. Yeah, that's that's literally what people are saying. Uh, you've peaked. I've yeah. just made too much money. <laughs> man, this Combank sponsorship is going to your head. <laughs> All right, well, before Bryce says something that he will regret, uh, yeah. let's get, get on with it. Today, we're diving into Lowe's, not the Aussie... Workwear at Lowe's, at Lowe's <laughs> but the American hardware giant. And we're speaking with Tracy Wahlberg, an investment analyst at Magellan, to help us unpack it. Now, the Equity Mates Summer Series is proudly supported by Comsec. A huge thank you for the support so far. They make it easy to tap into the world's leading share markets. We're covering plenty of global stocks in this series that are likely to get you excited. And Comsec has 13 international markets available from the US to Norway, Germany and Japan. Get the access that you need as a global investor and invest in shares on the US market from just $5 US brokerage. Download the Comsec app today or visit comsec.com.au. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. Investing in overseas markets exposes you to additional risk. Now, before we get started, we need to remind you that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes only. Any advice is general. But Bryce, before we speak to Tracy, let's unpack the company ourselves. Today, we're talking about Lowe's, the uh, discount workwear supply in Australia. <laughs> At Lowe's? No. <laughs> no, uh, no. We are speaking about a much bigger American cousin 
uh, to Australia's lows. Yeah, it's a Fortune 50 company. I actually don't think they're related at all. No, we not. should be clear. But yes. we are talking about the $120 billion hardware giant over in the US. Yes, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. The ticker is LOW. It is the second largest home improvement retailer headquartered in North Carolina. Just over 2,000 stores operating in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, serving approximately 20 million customers a week, almost the entire population of Australia. True. Going through their doors. $97 billion in revenue last year, up from a bit over $96 billion the year before. $6.5 billion in profit, down from $8.5 billion the year before. But still, like it's a $100 billion dollar a year sales business valued mm. at 120 billion dollars mm. like it's it's giant conceptually it's not a difficult company to understand it's like bunnings <laughs> that is correct i mean if you're not australian <laughs> that makes it more difficult to understand yes yeah. conceptually not difficult but i think as we've learned from many times on this show this year having spoken to experts about big box retail and whatnot over in the states there it is these these companies are incredibly tied to a lot of macroeconomic tailwinds or headwinds, whichever way you want to look at it, particularly as they play out in the States, slightly different to what's going on here in Australia as well. And that case is certainly the same for Lowe's. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those uh, headwinds and tailwinds. I think the first one and the biggest one is the US housing market. And the quirk of the US housing market is that you can fix your mortgage. And so what's happened over the last 18 months is a lot of American homeowners got a fixed 30-year mortgage with a one or a two in front of it, you know, a a mortgage with 2%. And then all of a sudden there was a massive run up in interest rates and all of a sudden selling your house and moving would mean going from a 2% mortgage rate to a 7% mortgage rate. Similarly, refinancing your mortgage to unlock equity in your home would mean refinancing at a lot higher rate. So all of a sudden, a whole lot of Americans are stuck mm. and stuck in a good way, stuck paying 2% interest on a mortgage. Maybe. Like, I was thinking about that though. It, it's pretty, you're pretty handcuffed. You're paying 2% interest on a mortgage. Yeah, but like you're not going to be at your house for 30 years right now. I might be if I pay 2%. <laughs> I doubt it. Anyway. I mean, you, you're right. Like, like you, you you have to stay in a place for longer mm. because you need to build up more equity because if you want to move, you want to borrow less mm. so you can afford a 7% repayment. Mm. It's great if but, you're in a stage of life where it is your final home. But I also think that like I don't just – the 2% was the anomaly, not the 7%. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. I don't feel too bad that the market's sort of gone back to normal. Mm, mm. Yeah. Well, I don't feel bad for that. Well, you just said you felt bad for them. No I'm, no, I'm saying you said it's uh, it's pretty good and I'm saying I don't, like, I don't think it's as amazing and positive as, as people make it out to be. Like, oh. All right, let me ask you this. If you could, if you were buying your house that you've bought, uh, if you were buying it two years earlier, would you have gone fixed or variable? So well, if, you, I mean, if you were buying we in 2021, start, like th- there would be a high likelihood you'd go fixed, but we don't have a 30-year fixed in Australia. Yeah, I'm, but I'm saying, what would you have done if you could? Two years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, highly likely it would have been fixed. So it's a good thing that they have that choice. Do, is it a choice though? Yeah, I think it's a choice. But what I'm saying is it's you, a you- 30-year lock. <laughs> I feel like you're not going to win an argument that a 2% 30-year fixed mortgage is a bad thing. 
It's a good thing. Yeah, what I'm saying is that <laughs> that unless it's it's going to become problematic at some point for them. Is my okay. point. <laughs> anyway, uh, no one is here to listen to us argue mortgage rates. People are here to listen to Tracy talk about yes, those. So yes. let's keep going. Regardless of whether it's a good or a bad thing, the fact of the matter is it is a thing. And what it means is that a whole lot of American homeowners aren't going to be moving anytime soon because they don't want to subject themselves to higher rates, even though it might be a good thing. Mm. <laughs> uh, so what they're going to do is they're going to renovate. They're going to, if they're growing their family, if they need more space, they're going to add a room, they're going to add a floor, they're going to find ways to do more with the space that they have. And that in theory should be good for companies like Home Depot and Lowe's. Hmm. The headwinds with that though are inflationary pressures, cost of living. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to get Tracy's view on how, I guess both the tailwind and the headwind come together and how that plays into the thesis for for Lowe's. Should we ask Tracy her view on our argument? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she'll side with me. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's probably uh, the key macro trend. And then there are a number of company-specific trends. Um, You know, we're here in Australia and we've got one dominant home improvement retailer, one of the best retailers in the world. Mm. Bunnings. Bunnings, sorry, yes. Um, America has... A couple of big players. Home Depot is probably right up there in terms of like incredibly well-run retailers. I think it's something really notable that um, the CEO of Floor and Decor is ex-Home Depot. The new CEO, well, a couple of years old, the new CEO of Lowe's also ex-Home Depot. You just sometimes see that with retailers. Yeah, Yeah, that like there's just like a lot of great retailers made in this one company and then they go out and do well in other companies yeah um, i think like walmart has had that walmart yeah. in its previous iterations they all move around Co- uh, yeah. when we we're at coles and woolies they were flip-flopping all over the yeah, place yeah 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 they say that coles circa 2016 to 2019 <laughs> created created some generational <laughs> leaders <laughs> um so yeah i think that's interesting that home depot seems to be producing ceos for then some of its biggest competitors mm. but There is competition in this market, Lowe's and Home Depot being the biggest two, but the market after that is pretty fragmented. So I think there's a lot of small players in the US, which potentially means a lot of opportunity to, you know, either roll them up or outcompete with them on use your scale to get lower prices and and the like. So that's what you want to see, I guess, as a retailer, because the name of the game in retail is three things. Expand your store footprint, have more stores, improve your sales per square foot, improve your same store comps, and then thirdly, improve your margins mm. uh, in each store. And you do that with, um, you know, like more private label and stuff mm. like that. If you do those three things well as a retailer, you're, Home and host. you're pretty good business. Yeah. Uh, I would say fourthly, Ren, before we bring Tracy in, look for strategic partnership opportunities, just like Lowe's did in partnering with Woolworths to launch the infamous <laughs> Masters brand. I'm surprised I'm surprised you bring that up. Uh, well, it's just a fun fact. So for people who aren't familiar, a black spot in Australian retail history <laughs> is when uh, supermarket giant Woolworths- Leading supermarket giant. Sure. Uh, decided <laughs> that they would try and rattle West Farmers, who owned both Coles and Bunnings, amongst others, and would compete with Bunnings. 
And so mm. they partnered with Lowe's 50-50 joint venture and opened Masters Home Improvement in Australia. Yeah. Big box hardware retailer, like a direct Bunnings competitor. How long did it last? I'm honestly going to say less. I actually don't know. I, think, I, I joined Woolies when it closed. I'm going to say less than two years. I think maybe a bit more, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Not it long. It wasn't Not long. long. It yeah. was in and out. And they lo- lost a fair bit of money on it and it was – um. It was not a good moment for Woolies. No. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, Lowe's, that probably doesn't form part of Tracy's investment thesis for Lowe's. No. Uh, a seven-year period, there you go, for, yeah. for that whole thing. Anyway, closed in uh, 11th of December 2016. Before we bring in Tracy, if you've just joined us or are feeling a little overwhelmed with where to start or confused about some of the investing lingo in today's episode, then Comsec's Stocked Content Hub could help. Stock up on tips and tools to help you find and research a stock and understand the stock market. Visit comsec.com.au for more or check out our Get Started Investing podcast. All right. Well, we'll be right back with Tracy after this short break. You're listening to the Equity Mates Summer Series. So we're here with Tracy Wahlberg. Tracy, welcome to Equity Mates. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So to kick off, how would you describe Lowe's? Yeah, so it's the second largest US home improvement retailer. So let's put that into perspective. It has over 1,700 stores in the US. And in 2023, they'll do about just less than 90 billion US in revenue. Um, So it's a decent size, decent scale. They have about 18% market share of the home improvement retailing market. And... Collectively, Home Depot and Lowe's share less than 50%. So that gives you an indication of kind of how they sit in the market and also how fragmented that long tail is. I'm excited for uh, this conversation about Lowe's because I think this year we've had an expert speak about Home uh, Depot. Yeah. Is it Depot or Depot? Depot. 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 There we go. The American Testing in the room. <laughs> Depot. And we've also had an expert come in and talk about floor and decor. Yeah, cool. Yeah. It's so a good company. But we haven't spoken about Lowe's yet. So we're yeah, really covering the big box American uh, retailers here. So when we're looking at a big retailer like Lowe's, what are the metrics that matter for us as investors? Yeah, it's a good question. So we first start with kind of comps. So that's same store sales comps or comp sales. And that really tells us about the underlying growth rate in the business. We'd point to that as organic growth. Comp sales break down into average ticket and average transaction. So I like looking at these two components when I look at comp sales because ticket tells us something about inflation, but it also tells us how well the retailer is doing to attach other products to the sale or grow basket size. So in Lowe's case, think of it like if someone's, DIYing their laundry room and they go and they buy a washer dryer, if Lowe's is able to also sell them the tapware or the sink, the cabinetry, that's captured in ticket. And it can work against a retailer as well. So ticket sizes can decline if someone needs to budget. And so it can also tell us about the health of the consumer. And then on the other side, on transactions, it gives us an indication of volume growth. So how well is the business doing actually getting the inventory out the door? And that also tells us about engagement, customer traffic, and health of the consumer. Another revenue metric that I like looking at is sales per square foot. 
So this metric tells me about store productivity, and it's great to compare to peers, particularly when you have two big players in the U.S., Lowe's and Home Depot, against one another. So we can compare how well they've done in store productivity and how much they're able to sell per square foot. Mm. Well, on that point, how do Lowe's and Home Depot compare on some of these metrics that you've just spoken about? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. So let's go back in time to answer that one. In 2009, so that's kind of, let's call that just post or maybe depths of GFC, right? They were quite close in the head race of sales per square foot, uh, really only about a $50 differential in sales per square foot between the two of them. So Lowe's had about $250 per square foot back then. They've grown that to $450 per square foot today. Wow. wow. Um, so they've done a great job, but Home Depot has pulled ahead. Okay. And so Depot's over $600 per square foot. So right. quite a productive retailer. What have they both done to grow it so much? And why, like, yeah, what was yeah, the story Yeah, let's there? get yeah. into that yeah, today. Yeah. So there's a lot of really great trends that underpin the home improvement retailing industry in the U.S. So let's first and foremost start at maybe how Home Depot did it to pull ahead a little bit and what happened at Lowe's. Because... Lowe's has really, since 2018, it's become a bit of a transformational story on improved execution by management, improved merchandising and inventory. In fact, they did an investor day at the end of last year, and there's this awesome slide their head of merchandising put up, and it was like, what our stores used to look like and what our stores look like today. And it was like out of stocks, you know, end caps weren't placed correctly, you know, products that generally attached to other products weren't nearby one another in the store. And so it was just, they had kind of lost their way. But Lowe's in particular back then also focused heavily on the DIY consumer. And so that's kind of your weekend warrior, as they call them, the people that go and uh, might do up their house on their own, but then also people who are painting a room or, you know, fixing up decor. And that focus on the DIY brought them a lot of private label brands into the store because the DIY consumer was price conscious. Now, compare that to Home Depot. They had a more brand-heavy offering to really appeal to the professional trade. And so their revenue split is more 50-50 pro-DIY, where Lowe's is more 25-75 pro-DIY. So it's my belief that that focus on the pro the tradie, as we would say in Australia. I'm not Australian, as you can tell in <laughs> accent. <laughs> so I won't appropriate that term. But um, the focus on that higher value customer who comes in more frequently and shops more really did them well during that post-GFC period. And then there were some other things that were happening post-GFC that I think continue going forward so we can get into that. So, Tracy, let's move to the, the bull case then because, you know, we've had uh, – we're from a retail background. We've had many people come on and pitch various retail businesses and often the story or the bull case just revolves around how well they can grow their footprint, store footprint, and how they can do it, uh, you know, cost-effectively. So what makes up the bull case for Lowe's and what is their competitive advantage? Yeah, all great questions. And I'd say for a retailer, that's broadly correct, right? It's execution and it's growing your network and maintaining scale advantage. But there's also another piece, I think, in retailing that we look for and we're particularly interested in finding businesses that are customer obsessed. Retailers have to return value to the customer and it's paramount once you get to scale that you continue to return that value. 
But for Lowe's in particular and Depot, maybe we can start at the industry level metrics in the upside case. There's a lot of kind of structural data points that are underpinning good base demand for this industry in, in the U.S. So first and foremost, the U.S. is structurally short housing units, so dwellings. And so that's not freestanding homes, it's apartments, it's everything, but it's not dissimilar to Sydney in that sense, right? And so it's underpinned a rise in home prices that hasn't really seen much of a headwind. State-based, there's different regional trends, but overall, housing prices remain really high in the U.S. and underpinned by a structural shortage, but also underpinned by the fact that mortgage rates have just made houses super unaffordable. So also not dissimilar to Sydney, but dissimilar is the fact that Americans can take out a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. How jealous mm, are we? <laughs> so existing home sales are the lowest they've been since the GFC. Mm. And that is a cyclical low. But what that's done is it's actually pulled out a, a person who would normally tart up their home for sale, right? Mm. Because no one's motivated to sell their home. So you might be thinking, Tracy, then how we're supposed to be talking the upside case here. So what's going on? Well, the age of housing stock is really old in the U.S., and it might not sound old to, to um, Sydney-siders who, who live in kind of terraces that were built pre-1900, but median age of houses in the U.S. is over 40 years. And let's go back to kind of 1990s. That was more like mid-20s year old. And so your, your forced incidence of maintenance and repair is much higher now. So that underpins a kind of base demand. And the amount of money you have to spend when it's forced maintenance and repair is often higher as well. It's non-discretionary. You, you, you know, you need to fix your roof. You've got to replace the water heater, et cetera. And then there's some other interesting demand drivers around like energy efficiency upgrades. So we know Americans have spent more on energy efficiency upgrades over the last two decades there was a housing survey that was recently published that put it at over $100 billion on energy efficiency upgrades spent in 2021. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. And that compares to less than $60 billion in 2005. So there's a growth rate there, and it's under underwriting another healthy sign of demand. I don't think that's set to slow, given the Inflation Reduction Act has fiscally incentivized that to continue. And Lowe's is very focused on that activity. And then also kind of related to climate change is the fact that natural disasters are continuing at a, an increasing pace. So the size of U.S. billion dollar events, so that is a natural disaster that impacts infrastructure at a cost of a billion dollars or more. The number of those has risen about five happened per annum in the early 2000s. And recently it's about 25. Whoa. Wow. So there are these, these really nice structural trends that are underpinning demand for home improvement retailing in the industry. And then with Lowe's in particular, they've started to focus more on that professional trade. And so they've brought back the brands pros like. They brought back in a more regional merchandising activity that is necessary when let's think about it as like the plumber who goes to your house, needs a part, pops out to a retailer to grab that part. Well, if the part that Lowe's sells 
in that metropolitan area isn't up to code for those homes in that area, right? The tradie can't buy it there, he or she, and so go somewhere else. But then you immediately lose trust with Mm. that person, right? So bringing them back in is a slow process. So they've been working on this strategy since Marvin Ellison came to the business in 2018, And they've done a pretty good job. They've grown pro mix from 19% to 25%. And so we really want to see that continue. So in in conclusion, the upside case takes us to uh, sales per square foot of over $500. Um, So continues that trend of top line growth. And then they generate nice operating leverage on that. So operating profit margins would expand about 100 basis points to 14.5%. And then they can continue that growth past that. It kind of put that at maybe the next five years they get there. And I think that's reasonable. And that really isn't in expectations at the moment. Mm. Yeah. I love that, that, you know, this massive retailer um, and there's like a very specific thesis that you have around the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of industry um, that tailwinds are going on, but for you, it's there's a specific business strategy that they're trying to execute. And if they can execute that, that will impact the one key metric you're looking at and um, that'll flow down to the bottom line. It's it's an important reminder that like when you have your thesis, the metrics that you have to watch and that become really important sort of narrow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I guess the the question that I have thinking about your thesis though is there are all these tailwinds for the home improvement industry more generally and improving the pro, pro-am mix, I guess, improves revenue per square foot better margins, better profit. Yeah. You said Home Depot is also focused on the pros and they're maybe a little bit ahead of that journey, but it sounds like they're still focused on that category. So why Lowe's over Home Depot? So coming back to that execution piece, I think that idiosyncratic kind of company specific risk is really attractive to us. The fact that first Marvin Ellison came from Home Depot So he left Depot understanding the pro strategy and had a journey in retailing and then came to Lowe's. But he brought with him people who were former Depot executives back in their time. And they've also just laid down a lot of infrastructure and groundwork, upgrading their technology. And they made kind of a 30-year leap in their technology. So there's a lot of idiosyncratic elements that we like about Lowe's relative to Home Depot. But like, make no mistake, Home Depot has done an incredible job. They have very attractive returns. And they will participate in the same kind of industry structural tailwinds. The thing, though, I would say is... Home Depot has a pro strategy that while it's worked, it's mature. And so then Lowe's is able to, if executing well, grow 2x the pro market. So that gives us exposure to a little bit more kind of shareholder value accretion, if you will. The free cash flow growth rate should be a little bit higher at Lowe's if everything works out. And Home Depot are now going after a growth strategy that is with a more complex job and a more complex pro. So they have to invest behind this strategy. Undoubtedly, the return profile, I would suggest, looks good. Depot's very good at thinking through IRRs before they allocate capital. So it's not growth for growth's sake necessarily, but it is a different occasion. It's a different customer and it's a different selling strategy. That selling strategy also comes at thinner margins because it's harder to differentiate yourself when you're selling, you know, large lots of timber and gyprock versus more branded goods and smaller parts. So 
I think for me, it feels like we get a a nice growth rate longer term with lows. Valuation is also very compelling relative. And so we have this really nice margin of safety that we feel we've found in that business. So Tracy, let's turn to the bear case. What are some of the metrics you'll be looking for or some of the red flags that you'll be keeping an eye on? Yeah. So there's a bit of a a bear narrative brewing in the market at the moment. And I think that's really what's giving us that nice opportunity to buy structural growth at a reasonable price. But okay, so let's break this into short term, long term. We really focus on the long term at Magellan, so I don't want to get too caught up in the short term. But the short term, certainly the DIY customer faces pressure. They have chewed through a lot of their savings that they accumulated from government handouts during the pandemic. Interest rates are really high. Credit's expensive. So they're not able to access really attractive kind of home equity amounts that they've built up. In fact, Lowe's estimate the average Lowe's customer has about $350,000 of home equity. In aggregate, the U.S. is sitting on over $30 trillion in home equity, right? But if uh, mortgage rates are upwards of 7.5-8%, like they were kind of peaked in October 2023, you aren't refinancing your mortgage to take advantage of that when your mortgage rate is sitting at 35 right? So that is certainly putting pressure on those bigger ticket discretionary items, things like changing all of the flooring in your home or doing the kitchen and the bathrooms at the same time. You're doing them in smaller job lots. So we're seeing this commentary not only come through on the DIY side, but also on the pro side. Pros backlogs, while healthy, they're down year on year and they're filling with smaller projects. So duration becomes the biggest short-term risk. How long does this last? And then how much of a headwind does that put on comp sales next year? Comp sales in 2023 will probably end around down 5% for lows. So do they face another negative comp sales environment? And then what's operating deleverage like at the profit line? So that's the short term. In the long term, the downside scenario for me would really be execution risk around growing sales per square foot. I need to see them execute on that better productivity plan that they have in place. And it's not just cost productivity. I don't want to see them strip out an enormous amount of costs. Often, you know, businesses will do that short term, but then they sacrifice the long term value creation opportunity. What I've liked about the current management is that they've really invested well in not only merchandising and that strategy, but also, as I mentioned before, the technology platforms and upgrading technology. But they've also taken the time to change the cultural perception of what it means to be a Lowe's associate and sell to your customer. So they're creating that frontline culture that hopefully resonates with the customer and creates customer obsession. That's starting to come through in customer service scores. And so we're seeing that trend positively. If we should see that go backwards at all, I think that's your kind of initial red flag. Mm. The customer is your kind of canary in the coal mine. So watching that customer obsession metric is really important. It's such a reminder just how important management, like management is always important in any business, but like there's a particular type of person that you need to run a retail business, like a real retailer, like someone who is obsessed with customers, but obsessed with merchandising and will walk the shop floor and face up items and just like has that like just 
crazy level of attention to detail. You mentioned that a lot of this turnaround happened when this ex-Home Depot guy CEO came. Marvin, yeah. Marvin, yeah. Uh, he, he came across. How much is the thesis tied to him and his team in particular? Like if he was to move on, would you be rethinking this about this company in a different way? So the initial answer is yes. Um, and it's, so then I follow that up with, it's not key man risk in that sense, but it is an element of, he has created the strategy with his team. They are executing on it. And we need that inertia and momentum to continue in order for them to really meet that long-term target. It's highly disruptive as well for businesses to go through executive change on a frequent basis. And I would say from 2018 to today is would still be considered frequent to me. I want to see Marvin there for a long time. I want to see, you know, Bill Boltz, who runs their merchandising uh, strategy. I want to see him there for a long time as well. As long as everything's going well and they continue to get along with the other executives and they can create a happy ship culture, you know, stay there forever. If there's turnover in, in executive management, it's something that we don't take lightly. We really look into the reasons why. And yeah, that, that could be a signal that the wheels are falling off. Mm. Mm. So Tracy, to close out, we always like to look to the future beyond the five years. Let's look to the 10. What do you, if, if they are able to execute on their strategy and things pan out the way that they expect, what do you hope to see uh, lows to be in 10 years time? Yeah, certainly they could get to that over $600 per square foot level that Home Depot has already achieved. I think that's entirely within reach. So perhaps they could even exceed that. Their omni-channel strategy, I would hope, has crushed it at that point. And it's not 10% of sales, but you know maybe it's upwards of 30, 40% of sales. They can't deliver everything, but they've certainly shown they can deliver a lot. And so if they can continue doing that, it just further improves productivity I'd also love to see in 10 years, you know, I don't want to talk about a competitor, but if you talk to, let's say, a Tractor Supply, I don't know if your listeners know this company, but Tractor Supply is a great retailer in in regional U.S. And um, they have created a customer who is highly obsessed with their business and kind of just goes there and chills out and talks about (laughs) chickens and chicken feed and horses and horse feed, right? I'd love to see Lowe's in 10 years have this tradey, professional, or even semi-DIY pro kind of mix customer who just hangs out in store and is so obsessed with what Lowe's retails and the innovation that they bring to the store and the way they kind of think at the forefront with their customer experience. I think that, to me, plus a great membership model would just make this mode that's very difficult to compete with. Love that. Nice. Well, we've uh, we've done an episode on tractor supply this yeah. year as well yeah, as floor okay. and decor Great. and yeah. Home Depot. So we'll include those three episodes in the show notes. So if people just want to go really deep on <laughs> US big box retail, <laughs> <Excellent>. they can. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, one thing that we haven't really touched on, but you, you said it at the start of the interview, so I figure it's worth just touching on it as we close off. Between Home Depot and Lowe's, they're a bit less than half the market. Yeah, um, that's right. And we've we've spoken about the thesis and we've spoken about the risk to the thesis, but we haven't spoken about any like consolidation of the smaller hardware stores in, in the US. Yeah, so that remains an opportunity. The reason I haven't discussed it, it 
remains an opportunity that I think is kind of there for the taking, but it doesn't have to be central to make the thesis work, Mm. in other words. Um, It's not necessarily what's in the price. Execution can be something that they can continue to do by growing share of the pro, and that's not necessarily away from their smaller competitors like Ace Hardware or Menards. But there is a long tail of independent retailers still in the home improvement industry that they can go after. And they should be able to, their size and scale kind of allow for that competitive advantage. Yeah. I think, again, just a reminder that, you know, the the thesis that you laid out is uh, specific and there's some specific metrics that you're watching and it's a specific plan that the management team are trying to execute on. And, you know, it helps you sort of narrow the focus as an investor and you don't have to be watching everything and, you know, uh, not everything has to go right to... Mm to be a great investment. Yeah, that's right. I think this is an industry where rising tides could lift a lot of boats. So it doesn't have to be an industry consolidation opportunity for them to generate that growth. And we really love that. We love when we can find companies that have multiple pillars or multiple drivers behind potential forecasts. You know, we're flawed and erred as humans in our ability to forecast. And so if we have multiple sources of potential growth drivers, it just helps us get some conviction in in the outlook. Mm. Love it. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and we appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Before we go, a huge thanks to our summer series partner, Comsec, the home of investing. If you're looking for more support and resources to build confidence in the market, head to their content hub. Otherwise, you can get $0 brokerage on your first 10 trades for Aussie markets when you join brokerage on US stocks from just $5 USD, and you can invest from as little as $50 through the ComBank app. Download the ComBank app today or visit combank.com.au. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. Investing in overseas markets exposes you to additional risk. Now stick with us because next episode, it is the final episode of our summer series brought to you by Comsec. We have none other than Anthony Doyle talking about AutoZone. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have physicians in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.